Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic or on-premise, and usually on location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT luminaries to discuss a single topic or premise. In this episode, uh, we're talking about subscription revenues. Yes, that's right. You have to buy everything on a subscription now, it seems, from the heated seats in your car to your server hardware. What is up with that? Well, it's killing us all. So uh, before we dive into that, let's meet who's on the panel today. My name is Andy Banta. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Andy Banta, and I have opinions. Hi, uh, my name is Vung Pham. I, my, you can find me on Twitter at digital underscore kung fu. I work for VAR in Southern California, so we're always involved in these types of conversations. And I'm Pete Robertson. I'm also a solutions architect for VAR, and you can find me on Twitter at vcloudpete. And I'm Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. And you can find me at S. Foskett on most social media networks. So those of us who've been in the IT industry for a long time are used to hearing about CapEx and OpEx and how so many businesses want to move from CapEx model to an OpEx model and everything's going subscription and all that stuff. Is it really true? Do we really want that? Or is it strangling us? And what's it doing to the vendors? What's it doing to the companies? So to get things kicked off, I'm just going to throw it to you folks. Uh, what do you think about this whole move to subscription everything? I don't think it's stopping. It's gaining steam. Uh, you're going to see larger vendors, ISVs. You're going to see larger hardware manufacturers deliver on the promise of subscription services. Uh, it's, it's more agile, to, to argue the pros. It's more uh, you know, quick to market. It's, it's something that uh, Wall Street and their accountants love. But the other side of the market is something we also needed to explore. So the, what's bad about it? Yeah, I mean, it's, I wouldn't call it the, the promise of uh, subscription licensing. I'd call it the threat of subscription licensing. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's been insidious in, in just about all of consumer products for quite a while. Uh, the, there's the whole idea of what you own versus what you have access to. And... Uh, this, this has been like one of the earliest changes that we saw was when people stopped getting the physical media for their music and for their video and started paying a service to have access to uh, stuff that they bought. So not only do you actually have to like go purchase the media from a company, you also have to have a subscription with that company to actually make use of the media. So this is, this is just a, an example where everybody just kind of fell for it automatically. And there are lots of other places where it's, it's starting to show up in everyday life. Uh, as Stephen mentioned in the intro, um, having to pay for microservices in your own car that you've already paid for is, it's, you know. Insulting? It, 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 it's insulting. <laughs> it's like, the, it's not like the seat doesn't have a heater in it if I don't pay for that service. It's just that I can't turn it on. And this has actually been a complaint uh, in the farming community for numerous years now where uh, farming equipment manufacturers won't allow people to service their own equipment. They actually need to do it through a subscription-based service. So I, I, I understand that there's an off, it's happening in an awful lot more places. I also uh, see it as a huge strain on 
on consumer economy. Mm -hmm. It's a pervasive uh, trend for sure. That's going to be really interesting too when we talk about it obviously within IT. It's, it's shifting more from just licensing, right? We go from ownership to right to use, but we're seeing now more and more subscription services even into hardware as a service. And that, as you mentioned there, the example of farming, when we see that carry over into IT to where it's now, yeah, it's, it might be in my data center and I have the access to it physically, but am I allowed to do any maintenance on it? Or is that going to be an uplift service? Is that going to be another way of getting more revenue out of the customer? Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's, it's no longer the phenomena which everybody in IT knows called sweating your gear. That's really not possible to extend the ROI beyond what is normally acceptable. Uh, people will take the risk to run gear, equipment, hardware, and software without uh, validated vendor support. Now, that is not really an option because when hardware is on a subscription-based services, they're gonna come with a U-Haul or you know your, your major truck and put it on a, a deck and in the dock and boom, you don't have that anymore. So, I mean, it, it's, I think the reality is gonna be, hey, what does this really impact your operations? I mean, you're saving money up front, sure. You're making it fast, sure, but how are you going to handle it when you don't have the monies to to do properly do IT, which uh, is only guided by an accounting principle? Yeah, and we definitely see that, right? So there's still there's still certainly organizations, verticals that are very resistant to moving to the to the OPEX model. They want to have the ability to purchase when they want to purchase. They want to ride out hardware longer than they maybe necessarily should, but. They're built around that because their revenue streams, likewise, are, are flexible. Right, and I mean that that might be entirely the case where a certain uh, corporation or organization has a budget set aside that they that we need to spend like this much money in this year for infrastructure, and subscription-based uh, services like that don't don't work like that. Like government organizations in particular, but other organizations as well, actually require the organization to use up all the money they have by the time that they, they're supposed to use it or lose it. Yeah. Well, you, and a lot of companies are like that too, absolutely. Not even, even private sector companies really, you know, they kind of need, need you to use the money. And I, and I guess this kind of is, is, is the, the, the core here that, that kind of gets to me is, um, like, what's driving this? Is this consumer demand or is this um, vendor pushing? Is this Wall Street? Is this just a trend of the day? I mean, why? is it that HPE with GreenLake is like suddenly the bell of the ball for having this everything as a subscription offering? Everybody's talking about it all the time. Why is it that, that this is so popular? Is it popular? It, it is popular. I, I have customers that really love it um, because it enables them to get things done that they couldn't otherwise because okay. the, the accounting gonna, allows them. I'm going to correct uh, the term once again. It's not popular. It's insidious. <laughs> well, just because you can do it, as the old terms goes, doesn't mean you should do it, right? So you have to really examine what your operational model is and can it benefit or does it hurt you in the long run? So I think it, you have to do your own diligence. You have to figure out if it works, if it is insidious and will bite you because, you know, the benefits are short-lived. Is it anything, is it really anything new, though? Or is this just kind of a repackaging and rebranding of traditional leasing agreements with a little bit new terminology wrapped it's, around it. I, I think I think the pervasiveness of it is one of the things that's the, the difference now. Uh, I mean, I thought of an old school example of license-based or subscription-based licensing, which was Bell Telephone, where you actually paid a phone bill and they gave you a, t a handset that plugged into the service. 
So the, the phone itself didn't cost you anything. As long as you had the service, they gave you a phone. And that's very old school. I but remember that, that. That was an example. And, I mean, and a slightly newer school example, but not, um, not that new, is uh, when, I, when I first got subscribed to DirecTV in 1995, I actually had to go out and buy a receiver. The next time I got a receiver, there was not an option to buy it. I had to pay for it by the month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm paying for my cable modem by the month with the router and the Wi-Fi and everything, even though I don't use it. It's sitting on the shelf, and I have my own, but I still have to pay for theirs because it's part of the subscription. And I wonder how many IT services are like that. I mean, how many people are subscribing for servers as a service and then maybe not using it? I mean, maybe if you're, if you're making full use of the thing, maybe it's a good value. But if you're not, if you're only using part of it or if you're kind of, you know, accepting it because it comes in the bundle, like your, you know, my, my, my phone service and my Internet come together. I don't even have a phone, but I'm, you know, I'm still right. paying for it. Uh, I wonder how many IT services are like that, that you're getting something that you're not even using. I think that was the initial appeal, though, right? I mean, so when we look at, we go back to the early days of, of, of cloud, right? We wanted the consumption model. We wanted to be able to, to purchase something when we need it and when we no longer need it, hand it back. And yet the beauty of that is now gone to where it's, we're dictating the bundles. So you're overbuying potentially if you only want one feature and something that would have been perpetual, we're now forcing you into a subscription. And, and I think the rigidity of that is why you're saying it's insidious. It's like this is being forced. It's no longer something that's of value to the consumer, whether that's things we do in our own personal lives that's kind of somewhat discretionary, or now we have something that's a critical piece of infrastructure for a healthcare organization, and they have no choice about it. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and since we're at VMworld or VMware Explore this week, one of the examples is for years, VMware, uh, with the vCenter license, actually included licenses for v, uh, what, vRealized Login Site. Yep. And, I mean, that was that was kind of a cool add-on. It was a way to promote uh, vRealized Login Site. But, it, again, it was a bundling of licenses with a, potentially a license that nobody ever used. Yeah, I wonder how many people knew they had that and how many people tried it out and said, oh, this is useful, versus just buy another service that exactly, lets them do yeah. that. I mean, I, I, you know, to, to be the devil's advocate, you have to realize that even with perpetual license, there was always the mandatory support that was required. So that was, in, in all essence, you know, lack of a better phrase, that was a, a forced subscription. So I don't think it's something new, um, but it's something that is, is hard-pressed to, to get away from. And I, I don't really have any complaint with paying for support if it's technical support, like what you get on difficult technical problems, but that's that's also a matter of you can file a support ticket or you can call support or however you contact your support people as opposed to simply making use of the product itself. Oh, the product will shut down in a subscription model. It will like cease to function. Yeah, I had that, um, I don't want to call them out, but uh, we had a uh, wireless access point in our, in our office and um, the subscription ran out and clients stopped connecting to the mm -hmm. Wi-Fi and um, I didn't know what was going on until I logged in. It said, your license ran out. You need to buy a new one. That'll be $900, please. And yeah. I said, uh, and so now we have a unused wireless access point sitting in the, in the closet at the office because, you know, I'm sorry, $900 for a subscription to use Wi-Fi? Yeah, that's, that's a little bit ridiculous. Right. 
but uh, it's 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 something like you know the power of the subscription, the power of the software. It's going to be, you know, the software vendor giveth and the software vendor taketh away. And so we are the consumers. I think we should be vocal about our terms of a purchase and acquisition, and and demand an option for a perpetual license, even if it is against the trend, the insidious trend. Well, well, you know, perpetual license or the ability to just flat out purchase. Yeah. And even if that comes at a premium, I I don't. Have, See that much of a big deal with this. This is actually a discussion I ended with Stephen and some other people one of the other times, where, um, like, if you have if you want video surveillance equipment, lots of times you have to get cloud connected video surveillance equipment, and you pay a premium if you actually want to have standalone stuff that you own. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm perfectly. I would be happy to pay that extra money simply so I own it. But it's and privacy issues, too. It's privacy issues. You have air gap and, networks, you have privacy. And, again, going back to the DirecTV example, uh, it's like I am quite certain that the amount that I've actually paid for my new receiver is way above what I actually paid for the one that I actually paid for off the shelf. Yeah, and I think in that regards, I mean, when we consume services, so obviously a lot of SaaS services, apps, we understand why there might be a subscription because we're, we're benefiting from the ongoing development, new features, right? we're continually getting that innovation. It's when we've bought something that's static point in time with no necessarily continued benefit that why are we continuing to pay for it. But I think, too, the other thing is like it's becoming more obvious that this is potentially being used as a tool in competitive posturing between different manufacturers oh, it's it's a it's a it's a and it's an accounting driven phenomenon yeah it's, it, it provides uh dedicated and, and and repeatable income for the foreseeable future for how many quarters i mean it, i'm sorry but you have to look at the reality that uh subscription-based services uh majority doesn't really benefit the customer absolutely so i mean i may be against the trend for a lot of people but um you have to really fit to see how it's going to work and i i just want you to challenge that I want to actually challenge the whole notion that subscription-based services benefit the company, yeah. because I think that that's another thing. I think people see, oh, you know, they're, you know, they're getting sticking it to us and making us pay every month for this stuff or every year, whatever it is, and and it's really bad for us. But there are many ways in which uh, OpEx uh, harms the vendors as well, because of the way that they have to recognize revenue, because of the commitments they have to make to support this stuff long term and because frankly of the demands that are being placed on them by the Wall Street investment you know VC community to basically build everything as a subscription mm -hmm. in a, a detrimental way that may not actually be beneficial to the company and the product and the customers and so in many ways I think that this is actually working against the vendors and Andy I know you've worked for some of these vendors how do you feel about what I just said is that is that accurate um, again, I, I've worked on the, the technical side of some of these vendors, and from the technical side, there there is some detriment to it because it's if something is sold as a, at a as a subscription or sold at a certain term, you know we know that we need to support it for that long and know that there's going to be issues to come up with it. Um, I mean, there's there's a couple other perspectives that I don't really have any insight on, which is you know. At some point, if you're going to sell these services this way, you need some you need some group of people who do subscription management who basically say, "You stop paying your bill, we're going to turn off your service." Auditing, auditing, yes. And the accounting side of it, 
I, I mean, the, the question I sort of have is that I know a little bit about accounting and, and with traditional so selling of products, you would typically take the amount you sell it for and subtract the cost of the goods that are sold, and that would be your net profit on it. And, you know, how do you, how do, you do this type of accounting if you're selling it like $10 a month at a time? Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I don't know how that works. Again, I, I do not have the letters CPA after my name. Well, I've talked to some of these companies, some of the, the founders of some of these smaller um, companies, and it actually, um, there, there's a perverse thing that happens where, and you'd think that this would be good, but a lot of startups, especially venture-funded startups, are cash flow positive, but revenue, like, strongly negative. In other words, you know, they uh, have collected all this money from customers who paid up front for services, and then now they ha are on the hook to deliver that service for the next three years or five years or whatever it is. And, and, and what that means is that it's almost a pyramid scheme because they've already got the money, <laughs> and now they have to continue to pay out their expenses for the foreseeable future, which is great as long as that's building. But if it's not building, if you run into, I don't know, a global pandemic mm -hmm. or, you know, inflation, then suddenly it becomes much more expensive for that company to pay out their year three, year four, year five commitments mm -hmm. to their own staff, to their own support, to their own developers. And yet they have to do that. And, and, and furthermore, the fact that they can't actually recognize that money that they have in their bank account as, as revenue means that they actually can look worse to Wall Street if they go public because they, they're not, not making money because the money they actually literally have in their pockets is not their money until another year or three goes by. Yeah, rev recognition you know, with a subscription model is totally different mm -hmm. than a capital model. So I think, I think the industry as a whole needs to pause to reflect and see who is this benefiting and who is this not benefiting. Because uh, it's, it, I think there's some vast, huge assumptions that it's not true. I think, yeah, I think when we look back in hindsight, it might be this, this appeared to have some short-term benefits, but I think long-term it may be detrimental. Yeah. I think, I mean, we're already seeing, you know, customers that it's another reason for them to look outside of their incumbent solution because they want to potentially now not just have technical differentiators, but they don't necessarily want to be told and dictated to, this is how you're going to consume our product or service. And but it's with, another reason uh, to potentially look at alternatives. But what's hard about that is if you look at the backup and, and, and policy for, like, let's say, 10-year retention plan, well, you're going to be on the hook for 10 years. Yeah. So what are you going to do? You, you can't even, even if you shift to another solution, legally you have 10 years to make sure that it's maintained. You don't have that grace anymore to say, I can let it run without support, you know? I have to right. pay the subscription. Yeah. Right. Yeah, certainly, that, that obviously is an example of where right. it significantly differs depending on what part of IT infrastructure we're exactly. talking about. Exactly. Switches, right. and, and, storage, I mean, etc. Yeah, and this brings up an even worse example of this, which is fixed term licensing agreements, where it's not that you license it month to month, but you agree to license it for so many years. And that basically locks you in. You're even more locked in than if you bought the thing. Exactly. See, that's yes. the thing. I yeah. mean, it's like if, if you bought it, you could maybe resell it or something. But if you're locked into paying for it, there's very little chance that you're going to switch. There's yeah. very little chance that you're going to you know, try a different product. And, and like you said, there's even technical reasons that you may end up continuing to pay for things for a long, long time beyond what you wanted to. Yep. Or what you're using them for. So, yeah, I mean, 
it's all things are possible. Who, who, who'd have thunk it would have a, a three-year pandemic, right? Yeah. So who'd have thunk that subscription software could be, you know, really, really bad for the industry as a whole? We don't know. The, the data still needs to be analyzed to figure it out, you know. Yeah, so I guess um, let's think here for a moment just for some fun. You know, we've obviously seen uh, some amusing stuff about this in the, in the commercial press. I mean, you mentioned the heated seats, the famous heated seats. Well, it's, it's important to note that that was just an experiment. It was just in one market, and they don't do that. But that being said, uh, BMW absolutely did charge extra for people to use CarPlay. Yeah. Um, I had to pay it. And, um, and, and it was an annual subscription to use CarPlay, which was built into the head unit. Now, that's software, and I could see that, that there's some, you know, something there. Um, but all of us, of course, are, are, uh, all of our entertainment choices have all been disaggregated, and now we're paying $4.99 a month to, like, 12 different services. You know, if only they could bundle this stuff together and have us have one bill for a big package. You know? <laughs> Maybe they could combine it with transmission. That would be amazing. Um, well, well speaking of vehicles, there's that company in, in China who was doing EV vehicles without a battery. Yeah, that's right. You pay the battery on a subscription. Battery service subscription, because, and that does two things. It drops the price of acquisition mm -hmm. and it keeps you as a customer. So it's, it's good and bad, but you know, there are also this third use case of that is they don't have the facilities to charge a battery in an apartment building. So it's, it's a tough nuance. Like I said, you have to really examine your use case and make sure it's appropriate. Well, that's, that's where I want to go with this. Think about things like that and now apply them to enterprise tech and think of all the horrible future subscription oh. services that we could see. Um, you know, how about disaggregation of everything? Well, I guess you could call that the cloud. But, uh, you know, how about disaggregation of everything, where the company ends up paying for everything all the time as a separate line item? You know, how about, you know, something like you're describing with the battery? What else can you guys think of? Where could this go horribly wrong? Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's limitless. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, just my kind of rule of thumb had always been that what I'm willing to pay a subscription for is something that gives me continual new content. And innovation. And if you innovation, it, it, if it's software, you're going to give me upgrades. If it's media, you're going to give me new content. It, it's something that where it's not you're paying over and over for the exact same thing. You're paying for something new for the subscription. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't like I don't like depreciating assets, and that's what it is sometimes. What about you? Anything else you can think of for uh, where can this all go wrong? Oh, solvency. The bill can be enormous. Yeah. How can the solvency of a company continue if you have all these subscription services? You know, public institutions have public money, but that's not forever. Look at the CARES Act. Huge in injection of money. But well, that's going to go away. It's not forever. Okay. And, and, I mean, there actually is, to some extent, an international relations aspect of this as well. If you buy a license from some company that, at some point, your government decides they no longer want to do business with, it's, mm -hmm. I mean... That's true. It's, there's, there's that aspect of it as well. Your data is not sovereign if it's in a public cloud. You could be violating a TOS, and you lose access to your data. Yeah. So that's a different topic. That's a different topic. I <laughs> but, but it's all related. And yeah. so, so I guess let's sum up. Um, I'm going to give you guys each a chance to, to answer this. Um, are, on the whole, our subscription models killing enterprise IT? I don't think they're killing it, but they're definitely not going anywhere. and They're making it a lot more challenging for 
manufacturers, resellers, and the consumer? I don't think it's killing it. I think it's driving more innovation at different aspects. But at the same token, it's making you rethink how you consume your IT budget. And you have to be very careful. It's a two-way sword. And I'm going to answer that you, you've constrained the question from what we've been talking about. So I'm not sure it's necessarily killing enterprise IT. I do think that it's actually killing consumer products. Interesting. And I guess a contrary perspective, I know I'm the one who proposed the uh, killing uh, suggestion. A contrary perspective is maybe it's enabling uh, smaller companies with smaller budgets that have growth needs. Maybe it is actually doing what it needs to be done, doing. But my, my worry is that it's kind of perverting the whole model of build a product, sell a product, support the product, you know, and, and, and changing it into everyone has to be a service provider. And for me, that's the thing that, that, that I don't like about it. I feel like it's, it's changing the way that, that all of these product vendors work. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go, um, where can people connect with you and continue the conversation on uh, subscription pricing and uh, the right to repair and cars and whatever else? Andy? Uh, it's at Andy Banta on Twitter. Uh, that's the, the most reliable way to get in touch with me. Uh, I'm available on Twitter at uh, digital underscore Kung Fu. And it's easy to have a conversation of open DMs and we can help you make the right decision. Yeah, and uh, Pete Robertson uh, at vcloudpete on Twitter and also on LinkedIn. And as for me, you can find me on Twitter at sfoskett, and I would love to continue this conversation there. This podcast is brought to you by gestaltit.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. If you enjoyed it, please do look for on-premise IT in your favorite podcast application. Give us a subscription, a review, a rating, uh, let other people know about it. We would love to uh, have you join us for the weekly on-premise IT podcast. I also suggest listening for the weekly uh, Gestalt IT Rundown news program, which is published every Wednesday by Gestalt IT. For more episodes and show notes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.